As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Argentina, a country famous for its amazing landscapes, cuisine, football players, and equally terrible economic management. Argentina is arguably the most unstable economy anywhere in the world at any time throughout history. That is a big title to hold with a lot of solid competition, but in just the past five decades, the economy has alternated between incredible economic booms and devastating crashes. Not once, not twice, but now five times, as once again the country finds itself staring down the barrel of intense economic collapse with record high inflation. This is all coming after a short period where the country was technically the fastest growing major economy in the world, doubling in size in just two years. Looking further back, this recent instability is unfortunately nothing new. Argentina was once one of the most productive countries in the world, beating out places like Canada, Australia, and even rivaling the USA. It's very unusual for advanced economies to go backwards once they have reached a certain level of wealth. But today, Argentina has a GDP per capita in line with countries like China and Malaysia, and even lower than regional rivals like Chile and Venezuela, which, to put it mildly, have not been economic success stories themselves. Now while this situation is unfortunate, it's not hopeless, and economists can learn a lot more from things going wrong than things going right. And since things in Argentina have gone wrong so many times in so many ways, it really should be a country that everybody takes particular interest in, if for no other reason than to avoid the mistakes of their past. So. Why can't Argentina sustain its economic development for any more than a decade? Why is it that despite these challenges, Argentina has managed to become one of the fastest growing economies in the world? And finally, can the country do anything to make sure this doesn't happen again? Once we've done all of that, we can put Argentina, the most unstable country in the world, on the Economics Explained national leaderboard. To be one of, if not the most unstable economy in the world, it must be recognised that Argentina does have good times mixed in with the bad. So that means despite a lot of its challenges, it's obviously still doing far better than a lot of other countries around the world. Its people are not wealthy, but they're not starving. Living conditions and economic opportunities are minimal, but overall human development is still very high by global standards, and in a weird way, that might be one of the biggest challenges holding it back. In the early 1900s, Argentina became a very wealthy country off the back of its agricultural industry, which attracted a lot of foreign investment and a lot of foreign migration from wealthy Europeans moving to the country to set up their own wineries and farms. With them, they brought the expectation of the modern amenities that they enjoyed in their home countries, like utilities, roads, and even electricity. The development of these services was a huge boost to the economy by itself, as it employed a lot of people to build them out, but it also made the Argentine economy way more competitive outwardly, because with all of these new technologies, it could develop its domestic industries and start exporting its goods all over the world. Meats and wines from Argentina back at this time were prized commodities, and those export industries also gave rise to supporting industries that overall made for a very worldly and advanced economy for the time. Foreign money coming in with new wealthy migrants and luxury exports going out was a great system, but it did create something of a speculative mania as the growth of the country attracted even more attention around the world. Eventually, investing in Argentinian land or farms or businesses became the early 20th century equivalent of buying cryptocurrencies. Nobody really understood what was going on, but a lot of people were getting rich and everybody wanted in. 
Despite perhaps not having the best or most stable underlying motivations, the investment into the country was still doing a lot of good, as it could be put towards modernising the economy that was just a few years earlier reliant mostly on subsistence agriculture. Unfortunately, this stream of foreign income fell apart during the Great Depression. People had less money to invest, they weren't buying luxury consumables as much, and they also were more cautious about risky speculation. The Great Depression hit Argentina just as hard, if not harder, than it did in the USA. But fortunately for the up and coming country, it still had a lot of the industries that people had invested in. The resulting instability on top of long held tensions over inequality between wealthy migrants and poorer locals gave rise to a military junta that seized power in the country in 1930, just one year into the Great Depression. In just a few months the country went from one of the most stable, economically conservative and well regulated democracies in the world to one of the most unstable. And in the almost 100 years since, that's not a switch that they've been able to reverse. After that shakeup, what little foreign income streams the country still had were quickly shut off, because people were understandably hesitant to invest in or otherwise do business with a country that was undergoing a military revolution. Out of necessity more so than long term planning, the new government that had just seized power needed to introduce a new policy to keep their economy functioning. Fortunately for them, the country was in a surprisingly good position to make this happen because of all the investments that had already been made into the country from before this political turbulence. Just because a new factory or advanced farm equipment was worth less than it was before 1929 didn't mean that it was any less productive. So the country switched up its strategy. Instead of exporting its goods abroad, it would focus internally and work on satisfying its own market demand with its own local manufacturing and agriculture. This worked fairly well, and while the country was certainly less prosperous on paper than it was in the years before, most people still enjoyed a relatively high standard of living for the time. However, inequality remained quite high, and that was just the start of their problems. The shift away from global cooperation and towards self-sufficiency sped up greatly during the Second World War, again almost out of necessity because a lot of their traditional trading partners in Europe did not have the resources left to spare after committing themselves to total war. This economic movement that had so far been working pretty well eventually culminated after the war in a political movement that nationalised a lot of the country's major industries to push a theory called developmentalism. All countries, with very few exceptions, want to develop their economy and become advanced service based centres where their people can enjoy high incomes. Leadership in countries want to do this, if for no other reason than it will make them very politically popular and make it much easier for them to maintain power. The question then becomes, how do they achieve that economic development? Argentina after the end of the Second World War had developed a decent manufacturing industry that had for the first time ever overtaken its agricultural sector as the largest contributor to output in the economy. One strategy would have been to reopen up to world trade and provide manufactured goods to all of the countries around the world that had lost their own industrial capacity in the war. They could exchange their goods for foreign income which could in turn be used to purchase even more advanced industrial equipment to hopefully further grow its local industries. The fear with this strategy is that domestic industries will need to compete directly with every other industry around the world, and if they're only producing basic goods like Argentina was at the time, the only real way to compete is by trying to be the cheapest, which means lower wages for workers, kind of defeating the purpose of building this industry in the first place. The other option was developmentalism, which meant that anything that could be produced in the country should be produced in the country, and imports should only be considered as an absolute last resort. Given the country was in many ways one of the earliest pioneers of global trade as we know it today, and given that relying on that trade and foreign investment had caused many problems for them in the past, the developmentalist approach was incredibly politically popular in the country. This was also heavily supported by a new group of immigrants that moved to the country following the Second World War that uh, did not see the appeal of being too involved in global affairs, and that's all we're going to say about that. 
In retrospect, it's clear now that modern global trade has been an incredible driver of economic wealth and prosperity because no individual country is able to keep up with the pace of technological advancements in every single industry that exists to provide the goods and services that modern economic participants have come to expect. Even something as conventional as farming has seen massive technological advancements in recent decades, which means hundreds of times more produce can be harvested with the same land and labour input as before. So yeah, not being part of these advancements was the missed opportunity for Argentina as they focused inwards, but it wasn't an unprecedented decision. Before the Second World War, the USA had a similar policy of developmentalism and it wasn't until after that it started trading globally at any kind of scale. It just picked its timing better. Even today, Argentina has very low trade intensity by the standards of even developing economies around the world. And that, combined with the pressure to maintain living standards, are what causes its never-ending economic turbulence. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Nobel Prize-winning economist Simon Kuznets is said to have remarked that there were four types of economies. The developed, the underdeveloped, Japan, and Argentina. What he meant by that is that unlike a lot of other economies around the world that have their own economic problems, Argentina has worked its way into a position where it's almost destined to forever bounce back and forth between periods of rapid growth and equally rapid collapse. From the start of pushing to isolate from the outside world, Argentina did experience economic problems. There are just certain things that are cheaper to import, and in advanced modern economies, even modern economies back in the 1950s, it's incredibly difficult to produce everything locally. Local industries that were protected by the government with high import taxes that made anything from overseas uncompetitive were, perhaps unsurprisingly, uncompetitive. Since production couldn't keep up with demand, and the government had committed to paying workers in newly nationalised state-owned industries very well, the relative value of the peso shrank, and Argentina got its first taste of inflation. Eventually, this inflation stifled domestic industry, but the problem was that since Argentinians had become used to a certain level of economic prosperity, it was very hard to roll back measures like high incomes for state workers or protectionist trade policies because that would cause a sharp drop in living standards, even if it was what was really necessary long term. Instead, over the decades, the country has fallen into a cycle of new charismatic leaders promising to turn the country around by modernising industry to keep up with global competitors. These modernisation efforts do, in the short term, boost economic output as people are put to work reshaping the economy, but they have consistently been funded by taking on lots of debt that, with the combination of poor economic policies of developmentalism, means that the country then consistently has problems repaying those loans. To pay loans, the country then prints lots of money causing inflation, and that combined with debt problems causes other economic crises which gives rise to a new political movement that promises their sweeping reforms will solve all the country's problems. A lot of those fixes have also been incredibly reactionary and have given little consideration to how everything in an economy affects everything else in at least three different ways. 
Today, the country is once again fighting with record high inflation, having passed a rate of over 100% a year for the first time since the 1990s. That means every year, twice as much of the local currency is required to buy the same amount of stuff. Since this is just not manageable for regular people to use for transactions or savings, people have started using US dollars instead. So, in reaction to that, the government put a limit on how many Argentine pesos could be transferred for foreign currencies in a given year. Obviously, this caused problems in other areas of the economy, like the few industries that were still involved in international trade, because that requires trading foreign currencies. So the government once again reacted by setting up special rules for certain industries. This is all happening at the same time as the total economic output of the country has almost doubled in just two years, essentially making it the fastest growing economy in the world. Although, of course, not many economists are predicting that this boom is going to last for a long time, because it is again mostly been fueled by the government pushing lots of borrowed money into local industries. It's not a perfect analogy, of course, but the country is a lot like a person that grew up wealthy and has relied on debt and get-rich-quick schemes for the rest of their life to try and maintain the standard of living that they're used to. But in doing so, over the long term, they've only hurt their credit score and chances of building a real career that could sustainably give them the prosperity thereafter. In reality, the country would be better off committing to some level of austerity where debt is brought back under control, protections are reduced, and real industries are allowed to grow without radical and unpredictable interventions from the government constantly trying to put out fires. The problem is, of course, in a country that has grown accustomed to high standards of living based on industries that have never really needed to compete, it's not going to be a popular political platform to run on when there's no guarantee of when such a plan would start to pay off. The only other variable here is the institutions that keep loaning the country money. Argentina since the early 1900s has always been a high-risk, high-reward country to invest in. Because when things are going well, it has some of the most intense periods of economic growth of any country at any point in history, even beating out countries like China. Of course, a long history of defaults and other economic problems mean that now only institutions like the IMF, which acts as a sort of global lender of last resort, gives them loans. But controversially, they've received by far the most lending from this organisation of any country, and they've also received it without the same kind of terms and conditions that usually come with loans from the IMF. Some commentators have seen this as unfair treatment because other countries have had to introduce very strict economic controls in return for their bailout loans. Others have seen it as just enabling Argentina to continue to live beyond its means by giving it yet another macroeconomic equivalent of a credit card to max out, maintaining a system that wasn't working to begin with. Okay, now it's time to put Argentina on the Economics Explained and National Leaderboard, which we have done before, but in the almost three years since, the country has changed quite a lot, as is probably to be expected in arguably the world's most unstable economy. Starting as always with size, Argentina currently has a GDP of 632 billion US dollars, which despite the doom and gloom we've explored in this video, is a significant improvement from where it was when we last made this ranking. It gets a very solid 8 out of 10. GDP per capita is, however, quite low because the country has not encouraged its domestic industries to innovate or reinvest into new technologies because they've always lived under strong government protections from outside trade. That means today the average worker in Argentina has fewer tools to do their job as efficiently as workers in other industrial economies, even those like China. Of course, its recent economic boom is improving, but even today it only has a GDP per capita of just under $13,000, almost perfectly in line with the global average, so it gets a 5 out of 10. Stability and confidence should be a zero, and that's what we gave the country last time. But since then we've updated the secret formula to mean that basically anything under a two means the country is in the throes of a civil war, infrastructure has been destroyed, and economic participants are uncertain of their own safety, let alone their own wealth. Argentina is obviously home to wild ups and downs, but those ups are at least in part only possible because the country has been able to foster a certain level of political stability. And things like armed revolutions, well, do happen, but are not regular occurrences. 
Because of that, Argentina gets a score of 2 out of 10. Not great by any means, but something that we do believe is more representative of its real position in the world. Growth has obviously been exceptional in the past two years, which is exactly why we measure this score from average growth over the past decade. Even on that short time frame, Argentina has had some wild ups and downs, but overall has only grown by an average of 1% per year. Not great by global standards, and certainly not great for a developing economy. It is for now not going backwards though, so it gets a 3 out of 10. Industry is poor. The country's main exports are still basic agricultural goods, and its push for self-sufficiency over the decades means that the country is still well behind the rest of the world in most technical fields. Argentina gets a 3 out of 10. Altogether, that gives the country an average score of 4.2 out of 10, which is an improvement from where it was last time, but not a big one. And unfortunately, it's likely that when we explore this country in the future, that current issues like hyperinflation will have pushed it back into an economic crisis once again, and all we can do is hope that we're wrong. Now, another issue that is a big deal in Argentina is the crippling effects of brain drain. We've already made an entire video exploring that concept and why it keeps poor countries poor. So we didn't want to repeat too much here, but you should be able to click to that video on your screen now. Thanks for watching, mate. Bye. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts. That's What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.